Good news to all the musicians and worship leaders who use multi-tracks. The Welcome Home album multi-tracks are now available on the IBC store. That was formerly voicevision.com. It is now the IBC store accessible at store.indianabible.college. There are multi-tracks, chord charts from Welcome Home as well as previous albums. Check it all out at the IBC store. Reverend Tyler Bryant is a pastor in Marshall, Illinois. He and his wonderful wife, Sister Brittany Bryant, pastor a church there. And he is also the director of the online learning program. That is a program that is 100% self-paced for a flat monthly fee. People have been so thrilled by the quality of content and the responsiveness of Brother Bryant through that program. And we are so excited for adding more video content into those programs. If you want to find out more about the online learning program, visit indianabiblecollege.online. Right now, Reverend Tyler Bryant in Staff Chapel, preaching Read the Writing on the Wall. Brother Galleon, Brother Turner, thank you for the invitation. And all of my colleagues... Man, it's even an honor just to say that. When I'm looking at this group that's here, I know there's probably some others that are behind these bright lights today, and I just honor you. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to serve in this institution. Of course, it's more than just an institution, but it is a vehicle for equipping and training people for ministry. Both my wife and I were equipped and trained here, and now we're sending students here. I don't know where Sister Hadley Weiniger is, but love you, Had. There you are. Yeah. And there'll be more coming in Jesus' name. And I want to give honor to all of you because I believe in you. I believe in the giftings, the callings that God has placed in your life and, and what you're going to do for the kingdom, the kingdom of God. I want to give honor to our online students. There's probably about 130 to 150 of them right now. Some of them will be joining us online. Are we, are we live? Are we streaming today? They might be online watching right now. If not, they, they join and they watch many of these services later. So I want to welcome them, and I'm, I'm glad to have the opportunity to serve you. When I travel, it's always good to be able to travel with my wife and my daughter. She's making a little noise right now. We're trying to train her how to sit through church service, but sometimes she's got to praise and she's got to get it out. Yeah. Sometimes she gets it out so good that mom has to take her out. And uh, I looked at her before chapel on the way over here today, and I could just tell by the look in her eyes she was thinking it might get loud. <laughs> Why can't I praise him as loud as I want? And I thought, well, okay, go ahead. Amen. How many love the word of the Lord? Daniel chapter 5, verse number 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Verse number 4 says, They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand 
and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. The king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. Verse number 13 says, Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, verse 16, I've heard of you. I've heard that you can make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself. Give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. And I want to preach to not just the future, but the present. You're the present. You are the the church. You are ministers. You are leaders. God is already using you, and he's going to continue to use you. And and I want to preach... Um, I don't know, I, cons- I considered changing my title and just giving it kind of a lame title, just something like Remember Daniel. Uh, but I think, I'll, I think I'll stick with this title, Read the Writing on the Wall. And I hope that we can. I believe that we have to. Read the writing that is on the wall. Will you just lift up your hands and thank the Lord for his word today. Ask him to minister to you, speak to you by his word and his spirit. God, we we bless your name in this house today. We honor you. We honor your word, Jesus. I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would minister to this student body, those that are joining us online today. I pray that you would speak to us, guide us, direct us, help us be courageous and confident like, like Daniel was courageous and confident, Jesus. I pray that you would instill something in us by your word and your spirit today that would help us to stand in the difficult times and help us to remain true to you even when the world around us wants to offer us great positions and great things. God, I pray that we would be true to you and true to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, tell them, read the writing that's on the wall. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Now, let's just take a tour. Get, keep your Bibles out. I hope you keep your Bible out. Let's just take a tour through the book of Daniel today. Uh, let's just pull a little bit out of these stories here. Because the overarching message of the book of Daniel is simply this. And, and I hate to make something so uh, full of depth, uh, so simple, but... But it, it just tells us this over and over and over again. God is in control. He is sovereign over world affairs. He is sovereign over his people, his church, and even in the face of circumstances that appear to be prevailing against his people, we can trust him entirely. In the first six chapters of Daniel are historical. They are giving to us Uh, narratives, if you will, six examples from Babylonian captivity, all of which essentially give us the same message, and that message is God is in control. (laughs) 
And so we have this over a period of about 70 years, this, these six stories that remind us of this and tell us this uh, in different ways and in different circumstances over and over again. So, so just look there at Daniel chapter 1. What happens in Daniel chapter 1? I think uh, if we were just to summarize this story up, this, this is a story in Daniel chapter 1 about Daniel refusing to, to eat the king's meat and to drink the king's wine. That's where Daniel decided to draw the line. With everything that had happened, uh, Daniel decides that I'm not willing to do. They had relocated God's people. They were in a process of re-educating them. They had renamed them. And, and Daniel had purposed in his heart, because probably because he had some uh, parents and grandparents and elders who were obeying Deuteronomy chapter 6 and were hiding some other things in his heart. So he was able to purpose in his heart that I'm drawing the line at this place. You have, you've relocated, you've re-educated, you've, you've renamed, you've, you've changed my location, you've put me in the middle of a culture that has different values and different beliefs, and, and you call me something different than what God calls me. And, and those are all external things. And there's not a lot that I can do about those things, but when it comes to what I ingest, when it comes to the internal things, when it comes to what gets on the inside of me, that's where I draw the line. And so you might change what's going on on the outside, but I'm in charge of what happens on the inside. And so you can call me something different. You can change the beliefs of a society. You can break down uh, these things that our, our, our nation and our culture was built on. Uh, but what happens on the inside of me, Brother Blair, I'm in charge of that. Uh, and so worldliness uh, is not getting on the inside unrighteousness is not getting on the inside and let's take it beyond all those things fear is not getting on the inside doubt is not getting on the inside discouragement is not getting on the inside no 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 that's where I draw the line because my God is in control yeah, and I'm, I'm working on a different diet. Uh, I don't need the king's meat, and I don't need the king's wine because I'm working on a diet of the word of God and the spirit of God. I'm working on a diet of prayer and fasting. I'm working on a diet of praise and worship and thanksgiving. Yeah. And so that stuff can't get on the inside. Yeah, and then, and then we come to... Daniel chapter 2. Well, let's just say this about Daniel chapter 1. We know, we know that God is in control because when they all went and got checked out, they were doing better, Brother Turner. They were healthier, and everything was going well. And the king, the king thought, Nebuchadnezzar thought, well, they followed my plan, and everything worked out. But they didn't follow the king's plan. They followed his plan. Yeah. God's in control. What about Daniel chapter 2? We come to Daniel chapter 2, and, of course, this is a, a story of the, the king's dream about this great image. And Daniel and his friends end up on the king's kill list because no one can tell him what, what his dream was or interpret it for him. And so they pray. And God gives Daniel the dream, and he gives him the interpretation of the dream. Of course, this dream is this image of, of gold, a head of gold, a, a, a breast or chest of brass and, and then you have, or silver, and then you have the brass and the iron and the, the clay and the iron. And then there's a stone that is cut out of the mountain without hands. And this stone comes and it hits the feet of this great statue and, 
and I, I love the language. You should just read it and read some of the language because it says that it, this, this statue completely disintegrates and falls apart. It becomes such a fine dust that, that the wind just blows it away like a chaff. There's nothing remaining of this. And, of course, this is talking about all of the uh, kingdoms and governments and systems of this world. And, and, and we learn from this that there is a stone that's cut out without hands. Of course, that's Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. He's cut out of the mountain without hands. And, and there's, there's coming a day when that stone is going to hit the feet of everything that this world is be built on. It's gonna be, this is going to crumble, and it's going to be such a fine powder that the wind is going to blow it away, and you're, there's going to be nothing that even resembles it left anymore. All that's going to be left is that little stone that's going to become a great mountain until it fills the whole earth. And, of course, we learn then from Daniel chapter 2 that, that there is going to be a kingdom that there is a kingdom that is coming that is going to replace every kingdom of this world, every system of this world. And that kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. The prophet prophesied about it and said of the, of the increase of his peace and his government, there will be no end. Yeah. And, and you know, that's what we're praying for when we pray, thy kingdom come. Yeah. And, and, and listen. Don't misunderstand me or misquote me or anything else. Uh, I'm, I love this country. I love this nation. I pray for it. I exercise my rights. But every time I pray, thy kingdom come, Brother Gallion, I am praying for an end to even this nation. Because I'm looking for, I'm looking for a king. <laughs> I'm looking for Jesus Christ. I'm looking for you. You know, you think the United States is wonderful, great, and great. Just wait till Jesus is sitting on the throne of the increase of his peace. Yeah. I'm looking for a king. <laughs> Somebody say God is in control. Yeah. And so we come to Daniel chapter 3. And we've got the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, right? One of the greatest... Sunday school stories of all time. And uh, perhaps for most of the people who were there at that time when the music started to play and people started to bow, perhaps for most of them the sight of this magnificent image was sufficient to cause them to bow down. They were impressed by what they saw. And perhaps for some of them, the, the, the sight of everyone else bowing made it clear that's, that's the right thing to do. They were peer pressed into bowing down. And perhaps for other. For others, it was just the, uh, the, the flames of the furnace. It was more than enough to get their knees to bend when the music started to play. They were distressed into bowing down to idols. I think that's three uh, reasons, and probably not all the reasons, but I think that's pr three pretty good reasons why people bow down to idols and they serve other things when, when the music starts playing. It's because they're impressed, or it's because they're peer-pressed, or it's because they're distressed. Yeah. Some people just like the image some people are just impressed by it. And, and we better be careful and, and not, not pretend like what this world has to offer cannot be impressive. Because I, I'm hearing the words of, of John, Brother Kilman, and he said he, he couldn't even put into words to describe Babylon and how impressive spiritual Babylon is. He was kind of overwhelmed by it. We read about in the book of Revelation, and so we shouldn't act like there's, there's nothing impressive about this world and what this world tries to offer. But we cannot afford to be impressed with this world. We can't afford to be like Demas uh, who fell in love with this world and was willing to bow down. And neither can we be peer pressed when we look around and we see others bending and we see others bowing. There's got to be something inside of us that says, I will not bow. 
Yeah. And I'm not going to do it uh, either because of fear. I won't be distressed. So, so you're not going to lure me away with a platform. You're not going to lure me away with promises that I'll be able to reach more people if I'll just let down on some things. I'm not impressed with what this world has to offer. And I will not be peer pressed into walking another way or going another way. And neither will you distress me by threatening what you're going to take away or what you're going to do or what's going to happen to me or my church or my family. I will stand for God. Because he's in control. And he can keep me. And he can save me. He can deliver me out of the fire if you put me in there. But if not, even if he doesn't, send me in the fire. Send me through the struggle. Send me through the storm. But I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to fall to the things of this world. I'm going to live for God, serve God. I'm going to obey truth, preach truth, live truth. Uh, I'm going to stand up for holiness. Uh, stand up for righteousness. Uh, stand up for the things of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got to go, I got to go. Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 4, we learn about the miraculous conversion of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and we learn it from Nebuchadnezzar himself. I, I was just blown away by this study in this. It's like you read the first couple verses of Daniel chapter 4. Of course, we know that Daniel, not some person uh, hundreds of years later, but Daniel was the author of these things. But he includes for us in Daniel chapter 4, it seems like something that Nebuchadnezzar wrote. Ne the same guy that threw the three Hebrew boys into the fiery furnace, you read Daniel chapter 4, that's from him. That's a letter from him. That's something that he's writing. The same king who threw those boys into the fiery furnace becomes the most unlikely convert in all of history and at least the most unlikely convert in the Babylonian empire of that time. God humbles him. With a, a, a period of insanity. I feel like I've been there sometimes. Yeah. He humbles him with this, this, this place of insanity. He's out in the fields eating grass and, and, and acting like he's an animal. And the Bible says his hair grows long like the, 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 the feathers of an eagle. And he's got these long talons. But, but from that place, the Bible says he looks up. If you're all the way with me or not. I want you just to think about some people you know. They might seem like the least, least likely person that would ever serve God, ever live for God, ever live for truth. And maybe somebody you know that backslid, somebody who is aggressive and militant against this truth and against this word. It might be somebody who stands for all of the things of this world and rejects all of the things of God. It might be a family member, a lost loved one that you're praying for and somebody you're believing for. I've got a word for you. It doesn't matter how far away they are. It doesn't matter how far they've gone. If they're in a place of insanity, eating, acting like an animal somewhere, like the book of Romans talks about if they're acting like an animal somewhere if they will look up uh, from that place uh, there's nobody that my God can't save uh, there's nobody that my God can reach yeah. why because God is in control and, and, and it, the word says it three times in the book of Daniel chapter 4. I think it's the key to all the book of Daniel. It says that, that this, these things are happening until every, everybody knows, until the living know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. 
and he gives it to whoever he wants to. Yeah. So we come here to Daniel chapter 5. And between Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel 5, there's probably a gap of about 25 years. And there's a lot of forgetting. It's been 70 years since Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians drugged Daniel and his companions from Jerusalem to Babylon. Daniel's more than 80 years old. Nebuchadnezzar's died. And the ruler sitting on the, on the throne is a man named Belshazzar. And as chapter 5 opens, Belshazzar occupies the throne of his father, who by this time has, has probably been captured in battle by the Medes and the Persians. We know it from extra-biblical uh, historical sources that the Medes and the Persians were already surrounding Babylon at this time. There's a, there's a war for the world that's raging outside of the walls of Babylon. But, but uh, Babylon's very well fortified. And it's, it's a fabulous city. It's, it's probably the most fabulous city of the ancient world, both for its beauty and its architecture and, and for the way that it's fortified behind its walls of safety. It was hard for the Babylonians to believe at that time that even the Medes and the Persians who had surrounded their beloved city could possibly breach the fortifications or exhaust all of their supplies, which were intended to be ample for any, any siege that they might have to endure. The armies on the outside would lose supplies long before they lost supplies on the inside. And perhaps in pride or perhaps in an effort to calm their deepest and most secret fears, Belshazzar throws a party to renew the people's confidence in their gods and to assure themselves that they're still holding power and that they're still in control. Belshazzar was, was either in a, acting in extreme pride and arrogance or possibly, maybe, he could see the writing on the wall before there was any writing on the wall. Babylon was in trouble. And he needed to reassert faith in the Babylonian gods and bolster the courage of the people. And what's better for that than a party with lots of booze? And so they break it out and start getting everybody drunk. The wine is flowing fast, we read in verse 1 and verse 2. And we're meant to understand that this was an event of extreme opulence of extravagance, of a lack of sobriety, and a, a certain lack of decency, and crucially, an, an event unfolding with no regard for the Most High God. Belshazzar was showing off his prominence, and in the course of doing so, as the wine began to take hold, it tells us in verse number 2, that he commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. It had been decades, of course, since this, these items had been stolen from the temple of the living God and brought into the ownership of the Babylonian kings. And, and now, this Babylonian king took the arrogance and the godlessness of, of Babylon up a notch, and he used those vessels that were meant to worship the Most High to get drunk on praise of the gods of gold and silver and, and bronze and iron and wood and stone. And this banquet, it's an, it's an amazing expression of pride and sacrilege and idolatry. This is a man who believes that he is a success, laughing at God and using God's gifts to declare his rebellion against, against his creator. But all it takes is for God to lift a finger. That's all it takes. Maybe, some, maybe that's all somebody here needs to know today. Is all it takes. It's not just true then. It's true for you right now. It's true for you, whatever you're going through, whatever trial you're facing, whatever circumstance 
Whatever your family is going through back home, whatever your church is going through, that's true. All it takes is for God to lift a finger, and all of that can change. All it takes is for God to step in in one moment, and he can turn it all around. God can change it all. All he's got to do is lift it, and it doesn't even have to be a pointer finger. He doesn't have to give a thumbs up. He can just put his little pinky up in the air because our God is in control. He can do whatever he desires to do. And when his purpose is fulfilled... All he's got to do is lift up a little finger, and God can change it all. God, God moves a finger. And as Belshazzar raises the cup taken from God's temple, and he uses it to proclaim his greatness, his intoxication with himself, and the superiority of his, man, his man-made, made-up gods, the, the word tells us in verse number 5, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. The king saw part of the hand as it wrote. Now, watch. This brave, mighty king, ruler of the then known world, the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him so that he can't even stand up anymore. The joints of his lungs are loose. Who stands in front of his select thousand, apparently in control of the whole world. And it only takes the movement of, of, of God's finger to completely change the scene. Belshazzar's predicament is another illustration of the insecurity and powerlessness of the rulers of this world when they're confronted by the power and the wisdom of God. And never forget, never forget that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He moves it wherever he wants to. And we're, we're living in a day, and we might see it more and more, where it seems like the rulers of this world and the rulers of the kingdoms of this world and the governments of this world are just doing whatever they desire and whatever they want. But I believe that there's something deep down inside of them, if there's any humanity left, that, that's realizing I really don't have any power. <laughs> I, I, I feel myself getting close to the end of a life, and I can't keep myself alive. And so the heathen begin to rage. <laughs> but the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He moves it wherever he wants to. Why? Because God is in The slap heard around the world. Don't pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. If you weren't watching it live, you read about it on the news and watched it on YouTube later. 93 million views, something like that. 94. <laughs> but I was reading. I was reading Psalm chapter three. And, I, and listen, I'm not. I, in regards to that particular issue, I'm, I'm not making any kind of statement. But, but just go to Psalm chapter 3. You need to look at that because the, the word of God says that he smites our enemies in the cheek, in the jawbone, and he knocks their teeth out. That makes, it, that makes that slap look like child's play because our God is in control. And anytime he wants to, anytime he wants to, he can just lift up a little finger. He's entirely in charge of everything that's going on in this world. I hope that we can understand it. I hope that we can believe it. I hope that you remember it when you walk out of here and you go through situations like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. My God is in control. Yeah. So, so a lot of things happen between the, the, the words appearing on the wall and their explanation. We'll return to that in, in just a moment. But there's a terrifying message here for Belshazzar. So let's just look at it. It tells us towards the end here, it's, it's this, these words, mene, mene, tekel, you farsen. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. 
Belshazzar has been weighed in the balances and found wanting. His kingdom has already been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And then come perhaps the most chilling words of the chapter in verse number 30. In that night. God wasn't messing around. In that night. That very night while Belshazzar was showing off his power vaunting the security of his exalted position and proving that he could afford to mock God rather than worship him. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. All the time that Belshazzar was enjoying his party, Medo-Persian soldiers were working their way into the city. Now, we, we know that Babylon was split in two by the Euphrates River and the great walls of the city were literally built over the river. And the, the ancient Persian historian Xenophon records how Darius' soldiers dammed up a portion of the Euphrates River in such a way that it made it possible for them to wade into the shallow water, down the riverbed, under the city wall, and into the palace. And there they killed the king. While Belshazzar was proudly proclaiming that he was in charge of everything, his walls were being breached. Now hear me, the invading army didn't break down the walls. They did not bust through the gates. They simply stopped up the flow. The only way that the city could be breached was to stop up the flow, which gave it its power, its wealth, and its life. And I think this is instructive for us today. Because the enemy would like to come in to you the same way. He won't necessarily break down the walls or climb over them or bust open the gates. But if he can stop up the flow. He knows if he can stop up the flow. Now let me, let me tell you a little bit more about that. Because, because the historian tells us. He, he even makes, you know, if you dig into it a little bit and read a little bit. He's, he's saying basically, we, we weren't even very sure that that would work. That's what he says. We, we didn't know that that was going to work out very good. We thought. This is, we don't have a very good chance here. We'll dam up the water. Now, this is a common tactic when cities were built on rivers. They would dam up the river. They would stop the flow, and then they would try to, try to get into the city and breach the city through that riverbed. And, and so he's doing this. They're trying to get in. But, but, but the historian says, we, we didn't even know that that plan would work very good. But the reason it worked is because once we got through the, past the walls, nobody was paying attention to what was going on. They were all in the palace drunk. So the reason that they were able to get in and the reason that Belshazzar died that very night was because they stopped up the flow, one, and because they were drunk on something else. <laughs> so this filled with the Spirit. And if we want to keep the enemy from gaining access to our hearts and to our minds, let me tell you one way that you can make sure he doesn't get access. you got to make sure that there is a flow of the Holy Ghost, that there is a flow of God's Spirit, that the power, the river, the living water is flowing through you, that it's flowing like a mighty river, that it's so great that nobody can even traverse it or swim through it. I've got to have a flow of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. And not just that, but I can't afford to get drunk on the things of this world. I can't be intoxicated on pride, on arrogance, on the entertainment and the things that this world has to offer. I've got to be filled 
with the Spirit. Yeah. And that very night, Belshazzar, whose, whose name means Bel or, or Marduk, the, the main deity of Babylon, protect the king. Bel, protect the king. What an irony that even as he was declaring his autonomy, his judgment had begun. And as we see Belshazzar and his friends celebrating, a mirror is held up to our own society. Our culture works very hard to celebrate its success, to pronounce its autonomy from its creator, to declare that it has no need for God or for his word or for his ways anymore. And most of the time, the affluent West is just having, having a party and using all of the gifts that God has showered upon us to ignore him and to mock his commands. But in our day, in our day, as in Belshazzar's, judgment has already begun. Though our culture scoffs at the notion, just as Belshazzar would have, as he lifted the cup from the temple to his lips, it remains true, James tells us in James chapter 5, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Can we read the writing that is on the wall? Jesus is coming. He's at the door of this world just as the Persians were at the gates of Belshazzar city. The writing is on the wall. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 17, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone or graven by the art of man's devices, any of the things that Belshazzar and his company were, were celebrating and worshiping that night. And he says, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere. To repent. Why? Verse number 31. Because he hath appointed a day. He hath appointed a day. He hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he raised him from the dead. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate on Sunday. Of course, we celebrate it all the time. But in the resurrection of Jesus, God has declared that this world will face his righteous judgment for its declaration of autonomy from its maker. We don't know the date, but he does. God is in control. The judge is at the door. Jesus is coming. All it takes is for him to lift his finger, and that door will open, and that day will have arrived. And it's going to come as a surprise to many. But nobody will be able to say that they were not warned. And if we remember this, it will change the way we live while this world throws a party to declare its success and celebrate its autonomy from the God that we worship. Can you read the writing that's on the wall? Daniel's risen to become one of the foremost men in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. But Belshazzar has forgotten. Daniel's God has fallen very much out of fashion among the Babylonian elite. And Daniel himself has been completely sidelined by this new regime. But now Belshazzar and his own wise men, having proven themselves once again unable to give any actual wisdom, he's got nowhere else to turn. So he fetches Daniel, brings him in, and there takes place a conversation between a confused king and an elderly man of God. I've heard about you. I've heard how you can make interpretations and you can dissolve doubts and... You can, if you can read the writing, you can make known the interpretation thereof. Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Just wait. They're going to come and offer some of you some of the same things. 
it won't be real obvious, like, oh, you're completely turning around and walking away from God. It'll just be, it'll just be even kind of subtle, like, you don't, no, you don't really have to give up anything or do it. Just maybe don't say it just quite like that, you know. We'll give you this platform and we'll put this robe on you and this chain around you and you'll be the third in all the kingdom. But Daniel was unimpressed. Let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to somebody else. You can keep the outfit. You can keep your stuff. I don't need your gold chains. I can see through all the gold and the glitter of that stuff. Why? Why could Daniel see through all that? Because he sees divine reality rather than the superficial majesty that's standing there before him. He's wonderfully unimpressed by what this powerful and impressive ruler in the eyes of this world is offering him in that moment. In the midst of this atmosphere of consternation and apprehension and fear, Daniel's countenance alone reflects the peace of God. Why? Because Daniel can read the writing that's on the wall. Yeah, he knows that Belshazzar, for all of his popularity, all of his status, all of his wealth, is facing judgment that very night. Daniel knows that God has lifted his finger, and so Belshazzar has nothing that he can offer that Daniel needed. He knows. Daniel was like, he was like the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times. God, let us be like Daniel, and let us be like the children of Issachar, that we can read the handwriting that's on the wall. Jesus has to offer. You can keep your robes. You can keep your gold chains. You can keep your status. You can keep your popularity. You can keep your platform. Why? Because I can read the writing on the wall. This thing's almost over. It's getting ready to wrap up. This kingdom's getting ready to go the way of this world. But I can read the writing. That's on the wall. Stand with me. The music's coming today. Paul admonishes the church. (laughs) Romans chapter 13, verse number 11. Knowing the time. Knowing the time, knowing the time, reading the handwriting that's on the wall, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day, the day is at hand. The day, the day. I just felt something right there, like we got to stop and just, because this is not a scary message for the church. Babylon getting ready to be destroyed, the king getting ready to be killed, and the enemy surrounding, that, that's not a scary message for the church. Everything in this world crumbling and falling apart, that's not anything for us to worry about or be afraid of. The economies of this world crashing and crumbling, that's nothing for you to be concerned about or worried about. Uh, what kings and governments and officials are doing in high places to try to redeem themselves one moment before the king comes in, that's, that's nothing for us to worry about. The day! Yeah. The day, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And Daniel comes to the point, you, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, but you have lifted up yourselves against, you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. Think about what you've done tonight, Belshazzar. You have been guilty of pride. You've been guilty of sacrilege. You've been guilty of idolatry and you have chosen not to honor God. And prophecy anticipating the fall of Babylon is found both in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Both prophets prophesied that Babylon would fall to the Medes on just such a night of parting as Daniel records. Jeremiah is explicit in Jeremiah 51, verse number 53. He says, though Babylon should mount up to heaven, 
Though she should fortify the height of her strength, yet from me shall spoilers come unto her, saith the Lord. A sound of a cry cometh from Babylon, and great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans. Verse 57, I will make, her, I will make drunk her princes. There it is, hundreds of years before the party. I will make drunk her princess and her wise men, her captains and her rulers and her mighty men. They shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, saith the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the broad walls of Babylon shall be utterly broken. Her high gates shall be burned with fire and the people shall labor in vain and the folk in the fire and they shall be weary. Now we know some of this prophecy has its ultimate fulfillment in the future destruction of spiritual Babylon. The humanistic systems of this world. We read about that in Revelation chapter 18. Can you go through one more passage? You okay? Okay. Revelation chapter 18, verse number 1. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great, has fallen. It's become the habitation of devils the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out! Come out. Come out. I know we're at Bible college, but I feel that right there. Come out. Come out. Don't get caught up and, and lost and mixed up in, in the things that this world has to offer and what this world is doing. I know I sat in these chairs not too long ago. I know it looks like it was about 40 or 50 years ago, but it, it hasn't been that long since I sat where you were sitting. And I know, I know, I understand. I have an idea. I know what it's like. And sometimes we just need to hear and we, be, we need to be reminded, even as ministers of the gospel, even as preachers and musicians and singers and, and teachers and missionaries, we need to be reminded we got to come out. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Verse number 8, therefore shall her plagues come in one day, one day, one day, all of a sudden, all at once, in that night. One day, death, mourning, famine. She shall be utterly burned with fire. They're going to sit and they're going to mourn. Bishop. The Lord quickened it to my mind. Your son had a dream. I don't know if you remember. He told the dream at Calvary one time. He was walking around, and I don't remember all the details. I might not get it perfect. He was walking around, and just people were just in despair and hopelessness and discouraged. He was, he was telling people, just say the name of Jesus. Just call the name of Jesus. And it's like they, they couldn't even say his name. They couldn't even call on his name. I 
thought of that when I read about the mourning that's going to take place all over this world and all of the systems of this world crash and fall down. This chapter goes on to describe the lament of the kings in the earth who become rich and powerful by Babylon because it says in verse number 17, in one hour, in one hour, listen, anything that you're, that you're getting from this world, anything you're, you're, you're taking from this world or getting trust or security in or identity from, from this world, in one hour, in one hour, one hour, when that stone hits the feet, it's, it's going to evaporate. It's, gonna, it's all going to be gone in one hour. But while this world is lamenting, the word commands us in verse number 20. Rejoice over her. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets. For God hath avenged you on her. IBC, I came to ask you the question today. Can we read the writing that is on the wall? But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, peace and safety... Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, but ye, but ye, brethren, but ye, but you, you are not in darkness. Because you can read the writing that is on the wall. Come on, we've got a world to warn. We've got a world to love. We've got people to preach to. We've got to come out. We've got to come out. It's all getting ready to go away. It's all getting ready to go away. Is there anybody that could come and find a place in this altar and say, I can read the writing that's on the wall. Anything that's left in me that's attached to this world. Uh, God, I surrender it to you. Let me be used. Let me be used to usher in the kingdom of God. just a few more hours just a few more days and this world is going to pass hey, can you read the writing that's on the wall IBC is better. The kingdom that's coming next is better. It's greater than anything this world has to offer. The king is coming.
up in your circumstance. He's going to show up in your trial. 